what's new in defined contribution plans, and how do regional differences influence plan offerings? We'll find out on this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change that you want to see. Here's your host and chief transformation strategist, David Saltzman. This episode is brought to you by the Evolve Marketplace Division of National Benefit Partners, developers of the innovative Employee Benefits in a Box, a game-changing tool for brokers working in the 10 to 250 employee market who want to easily and efficiently add a best-in-class voluntary benefits portfolio for their clients. To learn more, go to www.evolvemarketplace.com. Hey, thanks for being among the thousands of Shift Shapers listeners who tune in each week to hear the top subject matter experts in our industry talk about ideas, techniques, and best practices that help you to build your knowledge base and your practice. I know many of you subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher so that you get each week's podcast delivered as soon as it goes live. And that's a great way to get the jump on every new episode. To make it even easier, and for those of you who may not be iTunes or Stitcher users, we've added an exciting new feature to the ShiftShapersOnline.com website. If you click the new subscribe button, we'll automatically notify you the minute each new episode is published, and we'll also send you a short description showing who we're chatting with and what we're discussing. And it will let us notify you about some upcoming special offers, online content, and webinars we're building just for Shift Shapers listeners. So go to www.shiftshapersonline.com and click the subscribe button. Our motto is listen, learn, profit. Now you have a way to do that ahead of the crowd. Subscribe today. In previous episodes, we've discussed an awful lot of funding of different plan designs, different mechanisms, and today we're going to do a deep dive into defined contribution plans and some of novel ways to deploy them with your prospects and with your clients. And we're privileged to have Bill Hill, President and CEO of Visor Benefits, joining us today. Good morning, Bill. Hello, David. Can you talk a little bit about your path and how you ended up where you are today? I think you learned some very interesting things along your journey that will inform our discussion going forward. Oh, absolutely. Early in 2000, and, or I should say late in 2006, I started looking for other agencies, agencies that, to uh, purchase and agencies that were voluntary benefit agencies, mainly sold worksite. And uh, that led me to a, a company out in Seattle, which I successfully acquired and, and then uh, started going out and, and managing that client base. And then in about mid-2007, I had encountered one of the clients who was just recently purchased out by a larger company. And they were experiencing some extreme difficulties with their plan, not only their plan design, but also the cost. And uh, at the time, that agency was not handling any any of the medical insurance. So, you know, I took up that mantle for that for the agency out there in Seattle and started working with this client that was based out of Alaska. And if you remember back then, rates were high, but I had never seen anything as high as $821 a month per employee. I mean, it was just kind of shocking. 
But after I got involved in the case, I had learned a little bit more about the group and the demographics, and and I could understand why the rates were so high. You know, a lot of it had to do with lack of carrier choice. There was only two companies out of uh, Alaska at the time that were writing business. And uh, it just did not offer them a lot of options. And they they had companies across the United States or different divisions across the United States. So when I got involved in that case, they had just hit the wall. They could not afford to spend the money they, they had any longer on their health insurance. And I had just by my reading had come across a, uh, a regulation change on Section 125 that uh, was issued out in August of 2007. And it allowed us to basically offer all of the employees a pay raise so that they could purchase their own individual insurance policies. And that kind of got me started on the on the path. And once we got in involved with that, you know, there were all these side benefits that came along that I had not really anticipated. And it just kept my interest level high. One of those being the rev- the amount of revenue you could generate, but also in terms of the uh, health and well-being of the staff of this company, it seemed to improve. And, and it improved because everybody had an interest now in, <laughs> in their health and the direct cost of the uh, plans that they were able to purchase. It's amazing when that happens, isn't it? <laughs> it certainly is. It cuts right to the chase. It does. When it's your own money as opposed to OPM, it's a whole different ballgame. And that's, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about consumerism and those aspects of this as we go along. But you, you mentioned Seattle and you mentioned Alaska, but you're not from either of those places. No, that was quite a culture shock, I have to tell you. <laughs> well, what did you learn? I am born and raised out of uh, St. Louis, Missouri. And I had to find something because our our business model here was mainly centered around group insurance. And we really did not get into a lot of the uh, voluntary benefits or worksite benefit marketplace. And so I knew that with the changes coming from any type of national healthcare program, that it was going to have a serious impact on, on the amount of revenue you could make. So that was really kind of what got me started. And of course, going to the West Coast was kind of exciting, but that was a whole lesson in and of itself. Just the cultures are, are very different in terms of benefits, competition. I mean, the cost, it's stark. It's a stark difference. Let's take a little side road here. I mean, there's been a lot of discussion about being able to sell across state lines and arguments mostly made by people who have no idea why that might or might not be a good idea. But talk a little bit about some of those cultural differences in benefits and competition. I think that'll be instructive. Yeah. So let's just talk about Seattle, Washington, for an example, because that's its own little world. And on the west side of the Cascade Mountains, which is butts up to the water, for those who are not familiar with it, the money flows so freely there because of all the industry, you know, Google and Amazon and Boeing, that the cost of benefits, while a concern, not really as heightened as it is in other places. But when you get east of the Cascades, out into the uh, more rural settings or suburban settings, you know, you'll find that the cost is more of a concern. It's, it's similar to what I've found in St. Louis and surrounding states. And so you could have brokers out in Seattle and the brokers might not be at the top of the game and they'll still make a good living. And don't find that once you get east, the competition changes a little bit. And, I, and w- what did you find in terms of competition? Well, again, there was not a lot of need for brokers to be innovative in the Seattle area. At least that was my take on it. Because, 
to give you an example, back in 2007, the margins for high deductible group health plans had diminished sufficiently that HRAs were no longer really viable. You know, that when they first came out, when brokers first started switching players over to HRAs with their group health plan, you know, there was a huge difference in the pricing. It could have been 30%. But, you know, they had they had taken all that margin out by the time 2007 had gotten around. Seattle wasn't doing it at all. It was a totally new concept out there. Interesting. It was. It was very interesting. So as a consequence of my going out there, I know that there were a couple of carriers that decided they were going to open an office out there because I had contacted them and had said, hey, I've got this business out here. I want you to quote it for me. So that was kind of how they decided that it might be in their best interest to get out there and, and market a little. You know, following the money is never a bad business strategy. So let's go back to, to the defined contribution notion a little bit and kind of dive into that some. Are you suggesting that smaller employers ditch their group plans? You know, David, it, it's with the current regulations, it's hard for me to say that. <laughs> it can be done. You have to be very careful. And there's always going to be that risk until we get some better clarification from the IRS. I think it's pretty clear now that the administration controls the IRS. And the tax notice that they sent out, specifically, I'm talking about 2013-54, makes it seem like it is almost impossible to do that. But, I mean, it still can be done, but I would not encourage anybody to go off and do that wholeheartedly at this point. Uh, the only thing I can tell you is that our business model has changed in that regard, and we make sure that the employer still has a group plan as an option. So talk to me about how defined contribution plays a role in what you're doing and what you've learned. Well, when we implemented that first case, you know, we kind of did a study to, to determine how much the employer wanted to spend. And that really was what it was. And, and then we did some analysis and figured out, okay, the average rate is somewhere around $400 for an individual policy at the time was somewhere around $400. And the employer wanted to contribute 200 or half of it. And so that was really how they set the mark. They came up with $200. We rolled it out. And the best part about the program where we first started learning things were, was that there were most of the public, and, and you know this, most of the public is woefully ignorant about insurance. So our enrollers, because I had the staff that was doing worksite enrollment, that's a one-on-one -on -one enrollment versus the group model where somebody stands up in front of, you know, 50 people and, and delivers a benefits. We sat down with every employee and helped them figure out how to best spend that $200. And that was very insightful. So after that, we got to know everybody. We got to know their kids. We got to know their spouses. We got to help them figure out how to best take advantage of that $200 stipend. And what I learned was from a revenue standpoint was that our revenue just skyrocketed. And we usually average about $1,000 per employee in revenue for any uh, defined contribution case that we enroll. Fascinating. It is. And that's because if you think about it, the the needs that you, when you sit down and talk with those employees and you're talking to them about risk and they're making those assessments, you know, that 20 something year old is probably not going to be going to the doctor unless something is broken or bleeding. Well, that's an accident or, you know, or something severe that has happened to them. There are better ways to insure for accidents than a low deductible health plan. And better ways by utilizing an accident plan to help them augment those the higher deductible on their on the health insurance. 
it doesn't solve the problem. We're still going to have the health insurance increases at the same level, but it puts downward pressure on that on the inflation factor because you're starting off at a lower number. And that really is what has happened as these iterations of our program have come out is that the employees start to understand the difference between risk and maintenance. And so they can make an assessment, hey, I'm 50 years old this year and I, you know, I've got high blood pressure and I might have some diabetes. Maybe I need to buy a lower deductible, 2,500 and a critical illness policy in case something does happen to help me pay for that versus, you know, I'm really worried. I don't know. I'm going to spend my money on a $1,000 deductible and because I really can't afford anything greater than that. So it really allows them to play an active role in, the, in determining what their actual risk is. And I think that's the missing part in this whole healthcare delivery system right now. So as it, get back, it gets back to the employer, what the employer actually was able to do was assess the risk as well, right? Because now that employer started off at $200 as their defined contribution, and they kept it at that level for three years. And then they upped it to 225 and then they kept it at that level for two years and then upped it to 300 And that was based all on the market needs and his needs to retain good people. So this employer was excited because for the first time in their career, you know, in 20-something years, they were actually in charge of how much they were spending on their health care for their employees or their payroll. And now a word from our sponsor. Whether you're new to voluntary benefits or a seasoned professional, you'll want to check out the latest innovation from Evolve Marketplace. Employee Benefits in a Box is an innovative product that gives brokers in the small to mid-sized market a turnkey set of solutions that until now have been reserved for large market brokers alone. Employee Benefits in a Box is truly capable of revolutionizing the way you go to market for employee benefits and for voluntary benefits. Evolve Marketplace provides a best-in-class voluntary benefit product portfolio with preferred and guarantee issue underwriting, a proven enrollment platform, and one consolidated bill. And we know how important that is for clients. Best of all, they give you all of this with no impact to your commissions. You can learn more about Evolve Marketplace and employee benefits in a box by visiting their website, www.evolvemarketplace.com, or by clicking the sponsor link on the podcast website, shiftshapersonline.com. And now, back to our interview. We've talked a lot about the employee-facing meetings. Mm -hmm. And even though, as you point out, obviously, spend is critically important to employers today, a lot of folks feel as though beginning an employer discussion with plans is not the way to go, that, that they come in on a compliance standpoint. Are you finding that as well? Yeah, that has been the shift this year, and it's all because of the ACA and how the you know how most of the regulations have been implemented or pushed off. You know that is becoming one of our main focuses now, is making sure the employers are aware of what their fiduciary responsibilities are, because that cost is more of a risk for the employer than paying a higher premium on their group health plan or on their defined contribution plan, whatever the case is. You know, if, if you don't have the proper documentation, it could be thousands of dollars a day. If you're not reporting correctly this upcoming year, it will be thousands of dollars a day because those fines have been set up on a per employee basis. And most employers don't even know that they have that liability out there for filing. 
We've talked a lot on previous podcasts about folks who are starting to charge fees for doing compliance work. Is that something that you've experienced as well, or do you just roll that into the overall comp that you get from the products that ultimately get placed? No, we started charging fees about four years ago. And at that time, I did it on a small group. And it, it was mainly because it was a small group. And we had implemented a defined contribution plan there. And there just wasn't a lot of, you know, there obviously wasn't a lot of people involved in the plan. So it was hard to generate the numbers that we normally get when we do a 10 or 20 or 30 life group. So I decided I was going to try implementing a fee. And I I started off at $20 a, a head per month. And you know what? They paid it and they were happy to pay it because we were taking care of their employees. And that goes back to that whole enrollment process. Because once you do that, then your employees or you as the agent get personally involved in the employees' lives. And instead of going to somebody at the company and complaining about how something wasn't covered or how some embarrassing condition had to be treated or whatever the case is, they come to us. And so it really kind of relieves a lot of pressure on the employer. That's what I learned. And so I kind of use that as a selling point. I'd go to the employer and I'd say, look, you can't really discuss the employee's claims with them, but we can. So why don't you send them to us? Let us help them through this process and get it off your plate so that, you know, your person is focusing more on your business. And it seems to resonate because to this date, I've gotten no pushback on the fees that we charge and I've actually increased them. There seems to be a growing movement of, of people who are going in that direction. And as you did, they do it the same way they get into a swimming pool. It's kind of a TGIF, toes go in first mentality. But you're not the first podcast guest. And a number of friends of mine have said that they started charging and they've since increased. And the word that everybody uses is the word that you just used, which is surprising in something that's brand new. And that is that the client is happy to pay the fee. We've heard that before. So that that's fascinating. How do defined contribution plans play with self-insured plans? How do those intersect? Very well, actually. So in some of my work in the past, I've done some self-funding plans where there would be three options. Um, one would be a low deductible PPO, some kind of HSA option or a high deductible health plan, and then uh, a buyout. So you could opt out of the plan altogether and the employer would give you taxable cash. And if you think about a, a defined contribution model as an add-on to that, it really does a lot for the plan. Because think about it. The reason the employers were willing to pay cash to get somebody out of the plan is because they knew what their liability was and they were out of it. So that employee could have a health event, which would be totally unexpected. And that employer was not responsible for it, was not going to get hit with it. It was going to go on somebody else's plan because the employer would make sure that the employee had coverage from a spouse or some other form of coverage that was acceptable. So when you implement a defined contribution plan with a self-funded plan, it really does eliminate risk. It takes risk from the pool on both sides, not only the healthy, but also those who are not healthy. And if you think in terms of claims, so an employee who's healthy is working at a company that might have an average age that's in the 50s. And if the employee is younger, they're like, wow, I don't need this, this coverage and I don't want to spend this amount of money. So the employer can make that stipend available to them and let them go out into the market and buy an individual policy, not anything from the marketplace or the exchange. That employee can then use whatever they save for other things. They could use it for disability, which they might have a higher risk for, or life insurance or whatever the case is. 
And at the opposite end of the health spectrum, the employee can go out and maybe the employer can only offer a $2,500 deductible and an HSA plan. That employee can go out and buy a platinum plan somewhere and get better coverage because they know they're going to have the claims. So it really does draw, draw people out of the employer's risk pool and it kind of separates them and allows them to basically get better coverage that's more suited towards their um, personal needs. Bill, in the minute that we have left or so, I always like to ask all of our subject matter experts, what does the future look like to you? You know, this is a question that gets asked frequently amongst us when we're sitting down and, and discussing it. But for me, I see everybody going to an individual policy. I eventually see the, you know, some kind of statutory change where employees are allowed to purchase their own plans and there won't be this kind of limbo land anymore. There's already a couple of bills that are being presented to try and get that done. So I think it's going to be the only thing that survives because when you take a look at the regulatory requirements or the fiduciary responsibility that an employer has, there is no reason for a group to maintain a group plan, especially if they have fewer than 100 employees. There's just too much risk and not enough reward anymore. If they can push that risk off by saying, hey, here's a stipend, buy your own coverage, we'll help you pay for pre-tax, but it's all on you. Or here's a stipend, go to the exchange or go to one of the uh, open market exchanges that are developing. I think the employers are going to be ready to do that. And it would help the employees as well, because if you consider the number of employees that are working two part-time jobs, it's certainly a lot easier for both employers to contribute to a fund that helps them pay for their coverage than it is one or both to try and keep this employee off a group plan. Interesting vision. Yeah, thank you. Bill, thanks so much. Bill Hill, President and CEO of Visor Benefits. Thank you for sharing your expertise with the Shift Shapers audience. I appreciate your time, David. Thank you. The Shift Shapers podcast is a production of the Saltzman Group. We work with entrepreneurs, executives, and companies just like you to help shape the shifts in your business. To schedule a 20-minute call to learn more, visit our website at thesaltzmangroup.com or call me directly at 803-386-8005. I'd love to hear from you. And while you're on our site, you can also click the podcast tab for the entire catalog of Shift Shapers episodes and to access some really great special offers. Give me a call at 803-386-8005 and learn how to put the secrets of the Ship Shapers to work in your business.